knows me. He has always known me. He shaped my heart to match his. Even when my heart wandered away, he remained true with his unrelenting love. Because of him, my heart is full. He knows me. He has always known me. And this is the greatest love story ever told. Because he pursues me. Good morning, church. Welcome to Palm Sunday. I love today. Just a special day. And what a wonderful time of worship. What a great time of being in God's presence and giving glory to Him. Uh, you know, it was 15 years ago, and, and I remember it like it was yesterday. Uh, Lisa and I have been dating for about two years, and, and it was coming to that point. You know, it was that time, and, and I was praying about it, and, you know, I was just, you know, thinking, okay, is this, is this the right time? Is she the one? And I was just asking God and just saying, okay, God, and and, and then God was making it so clear, and so I went and I bought the ring, right, and I have the ring, and then I went and I asked her dad for, for permission to marry his daughter, and that was an awkward conversation, by the way, you know, like, like can I marry your daughter? And he's like, okay, I'm like, okay, you know, like, okay, yes, you know, and he was like, oh, yeah, you know, so, like, I made it past that, and then the time came where it was like, okay, this is it, right, this is, this is the time, and i written out my whole speech, I had this whole thing, I was, you know, and so it was Christmas, and I said, I have one more gift for you, and, and I went and sat down with her, and I looked her in the eye, and I told her how much she meant to me, and how much I loved her, and, you know, I wanted to spend my life with her, and, and then I got down on this one knee, right, and I'm holding the ring, and I'm looking up at her. Now, ladies in the room, this is like the most vulnerable position a guy's ever in, okay? I mean, he's like just laying his heart out there. You know, and we think you're going to say yes. We're hoping you say yes, you know, but we're, we're right there. We're just like putting on the line. And I'm like looking at her, and I love her. And I, I go through my little speech, you know, and my hands are sweaty. And I'm like, oh, oh, here's that moment. Here's that moment. And I didn't want a part-time commitment. I didn't want a, you know, well, if it feels good for me kind of commitment or, you know, as long as this thing is working kind of commitment. It was like I wanted the real deal. I wanted to say I want commitment for a lifetime. And I held out the ring, and I asked her to marry me, you know, and praise God she said yes, you know, so we've been married, and it was this, this moment, right, and she said yes, and I'm forever thankful, and it was amazing, but you think about the God of the universe who's been pursuing you, and the God of the universe who puts his heart out there to you to say, I love you with an unrelenting love. I love you, and I don't want just to have a part-time commitment. I want to love you, and I want you to love me, and I want us to spend forever together. We're in the middle of a great series called God's Pursuit of You, and man, that's exactly what God has done, because we saw in Genesis chapter 1 as God created man, and God created Adam and Eve, and God created them for a relationship with Him. And if you ever wonder why you were created, you were created for a relationship with God. And nothing else in this life really makes sense until this relationship is right. And so Adam and Eve, I mean, they're in great relationship with God. They're in great relationship with one another. And they're living in the Garden of Eden. It was perfect. It was wonderful. Until Genesis chapter 3, right? And the breakup. Oh, we all know the hurt and the pain the, of a breakup. And God is heartbroken because Adam and Eve said, you know what, God, we don't want to do it your way anymore. We want to do it our way. We want to live for ourselves. We want to live for what makes us happy. And, and God's going, but I did all this for you, you know. And they're like, yeah, but we want the one tree that you told us not to. 
But the incredible news of the Bible is this, is that God didn't give up on them. And God doesn't give up on us. And God set into motion a plan to redeem mankind. He carved out a people for himself called the Israelites. A people from whom he would bring the salvation of the world, the Messiah. And God sent in the Old Testament prophets along the way to tell the people, I love you. Come back to me. And God's constantly drawing people back to himself. Constantly, constantly, constantly. And then we come up to today, Palm Sunday, as God shows the full extent of his love. And says, well, if you won't listen to the prophets, maybe you'll listen to my son. And he sends his one and only son to them and to us. And that's what it's all about. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you to open with me to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. First book, New Testament. And we're going to unpack this chapter this morning. It is so good and just deep and rich. And maybe you have a mobile device. You can uh, access the scriptures online and follow along with us at Version. Also, we'll put the scripture on the screen. So if you uh, want to follow along there. But pick up Matthew chapter 21. Now, Jesus has been you know, living 33 years, 33 sinless years. He's been doing his earthly ministry for three years. He has these disciples that are following him. He spent most of his earthly ministry up around the Galilee region. And now here he is coming in to Jerusalem, chapter 21, verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. Now notice how intentional Jesus was being. Jesus had this whole thing mapped out, right? Some of you, you, you had like these elaborate engagements. You had the whole thing mapped out. Yeah, you know, you knew every detail. And, and that's what Jesus was doing. I mean, he had everything laid out because he's coming into Jerusalem. He's coming into the city. He's making his statement. He's putting himself out there to the people. It says in verse 4, This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey. On a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now this is a messianic prophecy that was written in Zechariah 9.9. This was written 500 years before Jesus. 500 years before Jesus. You see, the Bible is more than a book. You know, I mean, it is the number one best-selling book of all time. It's the number one bestseller every year. Why? Because the Spirit of God resides and the Spirit of God convicts our hearts. And that's why you read and you go, oh, wow. But it's more than a book. It's a collection of ancient manuscripts that were written over a period of 40 years. I mean, a period of 40 different authors over a period of 1,500 years. 40 different authors, from kings to shepherds. In over 1,500 years, and these people didn't even know each other, but they were writing about what God was doing. And they were writing about the coming Messiah. And all of it, historically accurate, is leading up to this. And so you see these prophecies. Do you realize in the Old Testament, there's over 300 prophecies concerning the coming of Jesus, the coming Messiah. And all of them are fulfilled in Jesus. I mean, the probability is astronomical. But here's one of those prophecies, Jesus coming into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. And that's what he did. And it says here that the disciples went ahead and did as Jesus had instructed them. And they brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. Now this is important because what Jesus is doing is he's making a statement. And he's making a statement about what kind of Messiah he is. 
He's not coming in on a stallion and saying, hey, I'm a political messiah. I'm here to overthrow the Romans. Uh, the Jews were under the uh, rule of the Romans. The Romans had conquered the, basically the entire world by this point, you know, if you go back and study history. And, and so the Jews are under the rule of the Romans, and they're waiting for a political messiah. They're waiting for somebody to come in and overthrow the Romans, like the Maccabean revolt that happened. And, and yet Jesus was making a very clear statement that I'm not coming in on the back of a wild stallion. I'm coming in on a donkey. I'm coming in peace. I'm coming with a different purpose. And that is to redeem and restore hearts. To redeem and to restore mankind. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Now when it says a very large crowd, this was Passover, okay? Passover was the biggest time of the year. There were three major feasts where Jews from all over would come to Jerusalem to worship. And Passover was the granddaddy of them all, okay? Everybody came in for Passover. In fact, historically, we know that Jerusalem was swelled to three to five times its normal size. So you're estimating two and a half to three million people crowded into Jerusalem. And everybody's there to celebrate Passover. Now you may remember that Passover goes back to when the Jews were slaves in Egypt. And they called out to deliver, you know, God help us. And I mean, they had no help or no hope back then. I mean, they were slaves. It wasn't like they were going to conquer Egypt's army. And yet they called out to God and God delivered them. And maybe you're here today and you feel like in your life, man, there's no help. There's no hope. I want to tell you, God is greater. God is greater than whatever you're facing. That's the incredible news. And God delivered his people. God sent ten plagues. And the last plague that he sent was the death angel. And God told the people, he said, kill a lamb and put the blood over the doorpost of your home. And the death angel will pass over your home. Now think about this. It's Passover. They're celebrating that. And you remember John the Baptist, when Jesus began his earthly ministry, he looked up and he saw Jesus and he said, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And as Jesus died on a cross for you and for me, and we accept Christ into our hearts and our lives, as God draws us to himself, God places the blood of Christ over our hearts, and the death angel passes over, and we have eternal life. And so Jesus is very intentional right now. I'm coming at Passover. I'm coming as the Lamb of God. I'm coming to redeem and to restore mankind. And I'm making a statement in front of as many people as possible. I want everybody to know. And the crowd that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna literally means God saves. God saves. He's here. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Psalm 118. And then verse 10. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. And they asked this question. Who is this? Who is this? And it's a question that people are still asking today. As Jesus comes in and just shakes the foundations of Jerusalem. As Jesus shakes the foundations of history. And people ask, who is this? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. You see, the people wanted a political Messiah. But Jesus was doing so much more. 
If you keep going to chapter 21, Jesus doesn't go to the palace and try to overthrow Herod, the Roman you know, king at that time. He doesn't go to city hall and try to legislate. What does he do? He goes to the temple. He goes to the temple. And he cleanses the temple. He says, my house will be a house of prayer. And if you look what he does at the temple, if you keep reading in chapter 21, he heals the sick and the lame. He says, bring them to me. Come to me. Come to me. I want to redeem and I want to restore you. One person at a time. He blesses the children that are there. I love that Jesus loves children. You know, he blesses them. And then he teaches. The tension started to mount because this is that triumphal entry. This is the beginning of Holy Week, right? And so the confrontation is coming and Jesus is staying out at Bethany, just a little ways outside of Jerusalem, probably staying with Mary and Martha and Lazarus, a guy who had raised from the dead. And he comes back into Jerusalem the next day and he walks by a fig tree, and on the fig tree there were no figs. And Jesus is like, why is this fig tree not bearing any fruit? Why isn't it doing what it's supposed to do? And he curses the fig tree, and it withers up, and it dies. And then Jesus comes into the temple. His authority is questioned by the religious leaders. And so Jesus tells two parables to make it very clear, here's who I am. And the first parable he tells is about a man who has two sons. Now, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And this is the way Jesus taught. Uh, all of you who are teachers here, you know when that aha moment comes, right? You want to teach in such a way that there's a aha, I get it. Because when, when your learner gets it, then they, they live it. They, it's like, oh, yeah. And so that's the way Jesus taught. And he said, here's, here's the first story. Here's the first parable. He said, a man had two sons, and he says to one of his sons, hey, go work in the vineyard today. And the son says, oh, no, dad, I'm not going to do it. And then the son changes his mind and says, okay, I'll do it. And he goes out, and he works all day in the vineyard. The second son, he says, hey, go work in the vineyard today. And the second son says, sure, I'll do it. And he has no intention of doing it. He never goes. And so Jesus asked the crowd, you know, which one do you think the father appreciated? And they were like, well, the one who was obedient to him. The one who did his will, right? The one who did what he asked. Right. So then Jesus tells the second parable. And he says, look over in verse 33, if you're in Matthew chapter 21. He says, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and he built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. Now, I love how Jesus taught. He always used kind of relevant examples, things that people would get, and people would be like, oh, yeah, I get that. Bob did that. I know Bob. Bob, you know, he bought some land. And, you know, he put some grapes over there, you know, and he built a wall around it, and, he, you know, he would send at harvest time and send his servants to get the fruit. I get that. That makes sense. Well, the tenants, they seized his servants, and they beat one. They killed another, and they stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them, more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. Of course they will, right? It's the son. They'll respect the son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take its inherit his inheritance. So they took him and they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? Jesus is asking the crowd, hey guys, what, what do you think? What is he going to do to those tenants? After he, they killed the servants, after they killed the son, what, what do you think he's going to do? Well, the crowd responded, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied. And he will rent the vineyard to other tenants 
who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. And Jesus said to them, Have you never read in Scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this and is marvelous in our eyes. See, here's that aha moment. Jesus says, guys, listen, here's the parable. God is the landowner. Everything is his. And God sent his servants, right, the prophets. And he sent them to the tenants. And the tenants would be who? The Israelites. <laughs> the Pharisees, especially the religious leaders. And, and he sends these servants, these prophets. And what did you do? You, you beat them and you killed them and you wouldn't listen to them as God was drawing you back to himself. And so what did God do? He sent his son. And Jesus is going, here I am. What are you going to do about me? What are you going to do about me? Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Now notice that. Take it away from you and give it to a people who will be obedient to God, who will do what God wants, who will follow God, who will trust, who will be faithful. He who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them, and they looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. When they heard it, they were like, oh, that's me. He's talking to me. And Jesus still talks to us today. You know, you come back to that question they asked. Who is this? And everyone back then had to give an answer. What did they believe about Jesus? And everyone today has to give an answer. Who is this? See, a lot of people believe that Jesus was a good man, right? I mean, there's hardly anybody that says anything bad about Jesus, right? I mean, nobody. I mean, even people who are far from God, even people who don't even believe in God, they look back historically and they say, yeah, Jesus was a good man, right? A lot of people believe that. The problem is if you just believe that he was a good man, there's always going to be somebody else who comes along, right? There's always going to be what's next, you know, and I'm going to put my hope in somebody else or something else. A lot of people back then as the crowd they believed he was a prophet. You know, there's a major world religion today that, that if you go and read their holy book, it says Jesus was a prophet. He was a prophet. Now, the problem with believing that Jesus was just a prophet is this. Is that what happens when the prophet says something that is kind of hard or difficult? Because Jesus came along and he said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no man comes to the Father but through me. Jesus was more than a prophet, and Jesus was making very clear, I'm not just a prophet who was sent here to the tenants. He said, I am the son. And there was a whole different level from being a part of the crowd to believing as a disciple that Jesus is the son of God and the Lord of your life. And the people back then had to give an answer, and every one of us today has to give an answer. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? Not just who is Jesus to your family or to your church or to your country or what does the world say. Who is Jesus to you personally? Is he the son of God? Is he the Lord of your life? Because the fact is that, that things in life change. And sometimes things become challenging. 
And where is your hope? And where is your faith? And where is your purpose? And where is your joy? And if it's in anything that the world has to offer, boy, that is shaky ground. It only can come in Christ as the Son of God and the Lord of your life. Jesus, as you know, as Holy Week progresses, the tension mounts. And finally that night, the night that he's betrayed, he brings his disciples together and they share the Lord's Supper together. And then Jesus is betrayed by one of his own. He's arrested, he's beaten, and he's brought before the crowd. The most vulnerable position he could ever be in. And Pilate stands there, and Pilate trying to get out of this, right? Because he looks at Jesus, he goes, whoa, there's something there. I mean, I mean, unbelievable. And he presents Jesus to the crowd, and he presents this guy, Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a, a criminal. Barabbas, if you go back and study history, Josephus says he was a revolutionary. He was trying to overthrow the Romans. And so Pilate presents these two, and he presents them to the crowd, and he makes a very definite statement. Who do you choose? What do you want, a political messiah? Or do you want a spiritual messiah, one who will come in and change your heart and change your life? And see, the same crowd that chanted, Hosanna, 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 now five days later begins to chant, crucify, 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 crucify. Because he was just a prophet to them. But to the disciples and to us, he is the Son of God. Now before we're too hard on the people back then, we all have to look at our own hearts and lives and say, in my life, do I want a a political Messiah? Or do I want a Savior and someone to be Lord of my life? You know, in this day and time, it's easy to look for a political Messiah, right? We're in the middle of an election and wow. It's a lot going on there. And you see ads and everything all the time. And so many people in our country put a hope in a man or in a woman. And think that somehow they can change our circumstances and somehow we're going to be better. And and so our faith and our hope comes in there. Now I'm all about voting. I'm so thankful we have the right to vote. I'm all about studying. I kind of get into all this in the politics side. But the fact of the matter is this. If you are looking for a man or a woman to save you, you are missing it. And if your faith and your hope is in somebody here, you're missing out on the Lord of all creation. And the God who is sovereign over the entire universe. And the God who can redeem and restore mankind. And the God who is sovereign over all of history and every kingdom that has ever reigned. God is greater. And God is doing something bigger. And if we spend all of our time over here thinking that these people are going to save us, we fall into the same trap that the crowd did back then. And for us to say, no, 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 listen, listen, listen. I want to be wise. I want to vote. I want to do what I can to help my country. But I, faith, and my trust, and my foundation is in Christ and in Christ alone. And I can spend all my time getting wrapped up in this. I'm going to spend all my time talking to everybody else about this. Or I can spend my time knowing that Jesus is the Lord of my life. And I want people to know Christ because Christ is the one who brings hope. And Christ is the one who transforms lives. And Christ is the one who redeems and restores. And Christ is what will change all of us. Where's your faith? Where's your hope? Is it in Christ? 
See, the Bible tells us, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, that, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That God is doing something greater than just four years or eight years. God is doing something for eternity to transform us. And God's not just transforming our circumstances. God's transforming our hearts because of his love. For God did not send his son in the world, John 3, 17, to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And there is a God who has come to you. And a God who is inviting you to join him. And a God who's saying, I love you. And a God who sent his son so that you and I could have a covenant relationship with him. You know that word covenant. I mean, it's where we hit that covenant of marriage that we're entering into. For better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, and forsaking all others, God, I'm going to be faithful, and I'm going to follow, and I'm going to trust you, because you are my hope, and you are my life, and you are my joy, and you're everything to me. I want you to hear this morning from a guy in our church, Tim Burke, just an amazing man. He, he loves the Lord. He's so passionate about the Lord. He has stage four prostate cancer but this guy is so faithful Jesus next Sunday he's going to have the opportunity to baptize his wife and his children and I want you to hear a little bit of his story this morning watch this hey good morning uh, welcome to Vanderbilt I thought I would spare you the grief of uh, reading any more of my writing and I tried something even scarier I post a video uh, I just want all of you to listen fully that I so appreciate all of your prayers and support and love and uh, especially everybody from uh, BBC from college. You guys, you guys are awesome. Um, you know, if you if you ever go through an experience like this and you sit in this chair, right? If you sit in this chair, it changes the way you think. And over the last few years, uh, there's just a real narrowing of focus when somebody tells you, you know, you've got cancer. It eliminates uh, all the garbage and all the fluff out of your life and everything that's petty. And you, you lock in, you zero in on what's the most important in life. Uh, today I'm thinking about you know, my kids and I, I kind of call it the, the what's next, right? Because they're eighth graders and they're looking at classes for high school and they're realizing that they're going to be on the clock and the decisions that they make in high school impact where they go to college. But it's just, it's this cycle, right? I mean, you, you have to prepare for college by what you do in high school, and then you prepare for your profession based on how you do in college. And then it's, you know, the what's next of what's your job and where you're gonna live and the what's next of who am I gonna marry and uh, children. And, you know, just by the, by the time you, you go through that whole thing, you're back at it again because you're a parent and you're helping your own children go through it. Now, I find the most ironic thing about all of it is that People that live their life without Jesus Christ are not preparing for the ultimate what's next, and, and that's eternity. I mean, what happens when, you know, you take your last breath? Uh, for me, the decision has been made. You know, my faith is completely in Jesus Christ. I realize I'm a sinner. We're all sinners and separated from God, and, and it's only God's grace uh, that answers the question as to what happens to me and where I go next, and that's heaven. And uh, I am burdened uh, for people in my life, people that uh, I know in business because they prepare for everything else in life, but they don't prepare for that. 
Um, do me a favor, I get a lot of nice things that get sent back and has to do with inspiration and perspective and I just want to comment on that. I, I, if it wasn't for Jesus Christ, I'd be huddled up over there in the corner and uh, probably wrapped in a diaper and sweating and sucking my thumb. It, it's only because of Christ that I have strength uh, and that's his strength to be able to face that. And I need you to realize that. There's nothing special about me. I am fatally flawed in the most ordinary of ordinary. But same with perspective. You know, perspective, what, what is that? People say that, and then, you know, 10 seconds after you view the, the video, there's no more perspective. So um, the if you see anything good in me, it's just because of Jesus Christ. And that's part of the reason why I know I'm going through this, why God has approved the cancer to come into my life so that I can share it with you. So I, I'd like everybody to be able to, that's, you've got to deal with the what's next in your life. And if I can be instrumental in helping you with that, shoot me an email, give me a call. That, that fulfills my purpose as to you know, why I'm going through this. And uh, God is bringing good out of my cancer. And um, uh, I just want you to know again, in closing, Colleen and I, we're so appreciative of your prayers and your love. And uh, uh, I thank you guys. And uh, hopefully I didn't scare you too much with this video. All right, thanks, bye. <laughs> You know, what's amazing is, I mean, life can change on dime, right? And it's Christ in Christ alone. So all of us have to answer this question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? A good man? A prophet? Or is he the Son of God and the Lord of your life? Has there come a time when God's drawing you to himself that you've said, yes, I'm going to follow. I want to trust. God is enough for me. So the two questions today is this, who is Jesus? And the second is, are you bearing fruit? Are you bearing fruit? Is there an obedience in your life? Are you trusting God? Are you following? Maybe God's been calling you, I mean, be baptized. Maybe God's been calling you to, to get involved. Maybe God's been calling you to share your faith with somebody. Maybe God's been calling you to pray with your spouse. I don't know, but I know this. That Jesus was so intentional when he came in. And every one of us, there's a God who's down there on our knees saying, hey, I love you. And I'm drawing you to me. What do you believe? Who am I? And for those of us who've said, Jesus Christ is Lord of my life, are you bearing fruit? Are you living your life for him? Are you investing in what matters? Don't get caught up in the world. Don't settle for the short term. There's a God of eternity that longs for you to know Him and longs for you to have life and have it to the full, regardless of your circumstances. There is a God who is for you. Jesus, on the night that He was betrayed, He, he brought His disciples together. You know, it wasn't the crowd, it was His disciples. And he pulled them together and he said, guys, listen, I love you. <laughs> I care so much about you. And he shared the Passover meal with them. But this time he took the bread and after he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, guys, this is my body broken for you. You know, the wages of sin is death. And because you've sinned, you deserve to die. You deserve to be eternally separated from God. But, but Jesus said, I'm going to pay the price for you. 
I'm going to pay the price for you. Sacrificial love. Unconditional love. My body broken for you. After supper, he took the cup. And he said, guys, this is the new covenant. (laughs) You remember the old covenant where you sinned, when you messed up, you were separated from God. But there's a new covenant, right? For better, for worse. (laughs) For richer, for poor. Sickness and health. Forsaking all others. It's a covenant. And I'm inviting you into a covenant. Whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Do this, he said, in remembrance of me. And so this morning, we have the incredible privilege to come to his table. This isn't my invitation, the invitation of Rolling Hills. This is the invitation of God himself. There are two tables that are set up here. There's two tables on the side. There's two tables in the back. The table closest to you may be behind you. This is a gluten-free table over here. I'm going to ask some of our A6 leaders and some kind of the spiritual leaders in our church to move to some of the tables. They're going to be there to serve, but they're also going to be there to pray over you. And just as you come to the table, they'll say a silent prayer for you. But this morning when you come to receive communion, I want to ask you to think about these two questions. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? Not to your family, not to your church, not to your country. Who is Jesus to you? And the second, are you bearing fruit? Are you bearing fruit? Are you doing what God's called you to do? Are you living it out? So, Father, here we are, your disciples today. And, Father, just as you did 2,000 years ago as your son gathered the disciples together and shared the Passover meal, Father, we know that you are present And we come to your table. God, I pray that you would stir in our hearts to give an answer. Who is Jesus? Is he your son? Is he the Lord of our life? I pray, God, that we would search our hearts and our souls and say, are we bearing fruit? Not that we're perfect, but God, are we we endeavoring to live our lives for you? Are we endeavoring, God, to walk with you and to be obedient to you and to trust in you. And so, Father, I pray that you would move in our hearts, that you would move in our lives, that you would speak to us right now as we respond to your grace and to your mercy. Father, we love you. Thank you for loving us. And it's in the name of Jesus that we come to receive communion right now. Amen, amen. You're invited to come to his table.
that what he did for us is something so large. But we want to give back a small token. We want to give him back something with our offering. Will you pray with me this morning? Lord, we are grateful for you and your presence here today. God, thank you for the sacrifice that you made for me, for us, for your children, God. This morning, we want to offer our, um, out of the blessings that you've given us, we want to offer back to you, God, our offerings. We want to ask that you do amazing things with it because we know you can. God, grow your kingdom. Thank you for letting us be a part of how you do that. God, we love you. We worship you. And with joyful, glad hearts, we give to you today. It's in your precious son's name we pray. Amen.
Bear your cross as you wave o'er the ground. Tell the world of the treasure you found. Jesus is calling. stand together. What an amazing truth. What an amazing promise. As we come today to the altar to celebrate Palm Sunday and to think the price that was paid for us. I I pray that truth will grip you this week, this holy week. I I pray that those questions, who is Jesus and are you bearing fruit, will just come out of your life. They'll be in your mind and your thoughts. And God's doing something incredible here, church. And I love this time of year. And I'm so thankful for Jesus. In your worship guide, there's a flyer that talks about Good Friday. This coming Friday, we have our Good Friday service, which is amazing. And 6.30 right here in this room for adults and in Main Street for preschool and children. They have a journey with Jesus there. We have a special time in here. I mean, it's emotional. It's powerful as we come to the cross. And then next Sunday, Easter Sunday morning. Yes. (laughs) We're going to celebrate. Of baptism, we're going to worship. I'm already ready. I can't wait. I mean, it's going to be awesome, so don't miss. And there's some flyers when you leave today that some ushers will hand you, and they're just invitations. So if you want to take and invite somebody to come with you to church, somebody who may not know Jesus, may not have a relationship with him yet, or somebody who's looking for a church home, hey, take these, invite somebody, or make a video, put it on Facebook. Let people know and say, hey, come, look at what God's doing in my life and what God wants to do in your life. So, Father, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for Jesus and the hope that we have in Christ and that this world is not all that there is. Father, there is more to come. Eternity awaits. Fill us, God, with that joy. Fill us with peace. Fill us with purpose, God. And use us, God, for your glory in our day and our time and our generation. God, we love you. Thank you for Palm Sunday, for Holy Week, for the cross and the resurrection that we will celebrate next Sunday. To you be glory forever and ever. And in the name of Jesus, we pray, and all God's people said, amen, amen. Thanks for being here today. Have a great week. God bless.